You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate, we're here to listen, we're here to process, and we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not gonna do. We're not gonna be preachy because we don't have all the answers and we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person, and that starts with our personal, personal check-in. Check in. Let's do it. Bob? Hello, friend. Morning, friend. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be talking to you. I'm glad to be talking to you. You know, this is one, I, say, I think I say this a lot, but like li- literally this is one of the highlights to do this and just to, to talk with you, my friend, and catch up with you. It's a reason for us to stay connected because you're real busy. So you got a lot going on. And it feels like if I didn't have this recurring calendar invite, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know all the amazing things. you're Grateful to be talking to my friends. Well, I feel the exact same way. It is total highlight for me. So it's always, I don't know. I hope our listeners, yeah, I think one of the things that they hopefully enjoy is the fact that this is the, so the we importance like each of other relationship. In real life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, we like I don't think you can fake life. it. <laughs> if you could have faked it, it would have been like for like a couple episodes. And then it was like, it would become clear. And I feel like we all have those like relationships where you see the fraying happening because it goes on too long and they can't fake it anymore. I think, but hey, we're still going strong. I don't think, I don't think it's we're getting yeah, good. It's all good. Yeah, so, no, I, it is. It's good. Yes. I want to ask you, our listeners are hearing this the day after Mother's Day. So, belated Mother's Day to you. Mm -hmm. The world is a better place because you're a mom and thank you. You got a beautiful son that you've raised and are now on the cusp of sending out into the great wild world. I mean, that's a lot for your Mother's Day. Tell tell our listeners how you're doing with all that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. First of all, our listeners can't see our Zoom call where we can see each other, but Rob is seeing me go on and off mute. And that is happening because our lovely Google Fiber provider inside my window jackhammering <laughs> while I'm recording a podcast with you all. So I'm like on and off mute as it comes, as they start going, I'm like mute. <laughs> and it's throwing Rob off, I think a little bit. Like, is she with me? What's happening? But you know what? It's progress, people. And Google Fiber around here, which is a plug for Google Fiber. We should go after them for sponsorship. We should, yeah. So Mother's Day. Yeah. You know, this year's Mother's Day is special because my son, as the whole world knows, the whole just knows, is headed to college. We are T minus under 60 days at the stage. And so this is the last, you know, official kind of Mother's Day under my care, if you will, like when they, when you did a little bit. And, you know, it's special. It's a special time. There's been a lot of reflection. You know, we're spending good time together and trying to figure out what it means to launch an adult on his own. And then, like, what role do I play? Of that role do I play? It's a dance. It's a dance. Mm-hmm. And nobody, and I'm sure there's a thousand books out there, which I've read zero. So I'm learning this as I go. It's kind of fun to figure out the next chapter and what role you because I'm sure I'm now going to be playing a minor role, right? It's like, you're, what do you call it? The supporting cast 
always been supporting class, but I've been much more of a major player. So now it's like, how do I move? And, you know, Mother's Day reminds you of like all the years and you got four kids. So I'm sure in your family, Mother's and Father's Day are a big deal because you're reflecting on the actual responsibility you have to raise your kids. And Mm -hmm. now I'm feeling like, like I did my job, you know, it's never over, but you know, you get to a point where you got to say, okay, let's go, let's move it do your thing and be great in the world. So that's where we are. That was Mother's Day. Wow. Well, I would, I know the Oscars just happened recently. So I, I support, I, you mentioned supporting actor. I would nominate you for as a mom Thank for you. sure. And if you don't, you. I'll take if you it. didn't win it, I'd be the one out there boycotting the Oscars. <laughs> I feel like they're always a reason to boycott the Oscars. You're ride or die, so. man. You are a ride or die friend. I tell you, you're going to be out there boycotting. <laughs> I love that. Well, what's going on with you? Because we have a, a really fun guest for me because I don't, you know, I'm learning. I'm going to be learning a lot with our listeners. Mm. And a lot of times I'm re- a little bit more familiar with work and our guests. And I'm really excited about today because I'm going to be in discovery. Which is fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll take you back off yours. And then I think it's a great segue. I'm so excited about the conversation we're going to have today. And I think our listeners will really see. I mean, I just think. I've been reminded, I think Mother's Day is a reminder. Everything you shared to me is like importance of relationships. And I think when I look back on COVID, we've all kind of seen how grateful or how important community is, how how important it is to have people in our corners, how people that are for us, people that see us, so that we can go do that yeah. for other people. Using uh, example of that, but it's also been an incredibly hard year. I mean, I was listening to uh, the Daily Podcast, New York Times with that. And they had one recently on the, the agony of parenting during a pandemic. Fifty yeah. percent of it is just parents screaming, like just like like. You, <laughs> if you're a parent and you have had a hard year, I would recommend it. There's some. There's. It's. It's. I think it's the first time they had one with like expletive language because parents are just like they're just unfiltered. But it's made. I think the pandemic, Mother's Day, just the having this conversation, just makes me reflect on the value and how of relationships, the importance of the community plays in my own life personally. Thankful for my wife, who is a mom and an amazing mom who's navigated the pandemic with like and resilience, but also like as a segue to our conversations around our podcast, the role, the important role that relationships play in justice work. Relationships are not all that there is. And I think if you heard us for long enough, you know that's the case. But they're also right. not less than that, you know? There's so much yep. more, but not less. And so I think our guest today is a wonderful example <laughs> of like the power of re- relational work to really address and pursue justice for and love. I'd love to, to welcome him on. We've talked about him enough. His ears must be burning. I'd love to welcome on David. Christmas. David, are you on the call? Can you hear us? I'm here, man. And I'm, I'm excited to talk with you guys this morning. Hey. Welcome, David. welcome. Welcome, man. Well, for our listeners, David Crispell, Executive Director of Jubilee Home. For those of you who don't know, Jubilee Home is located in the historic Haytai community in Durham, North Carolina. It provides supportive housing to justice-involved transitioning to independence. Jubilee Home balances the real social and psychological needs of residents with an understanding that every person has something to contribute. They believe it. We're all better together, and they seek to be a community of mutual, which I'm really excited to unpack that term. That's a, oh, man, 
that's a, I think that's one of the core values we, we tried to stay true to in this podcast, yes, where a group of people are working together to find their best self. So a little bit about David. I'm sure he'll help flesh out his bio, but relationships shine through because you'll, and you'll hear this. So we asked David to send a bio and this is, this is what he sent us. And I want to be true to this because I think it really reflects who he is and the approach that he takes to his work. Born of red clay and nourished in the waters of the Eno River. Dave Crispell is born and raised, is a born and raised Durhamite who loves his city. Uh, he's grateful. He's eternally grateful to the Eno, Okanichi, and Tuscaroran indigenous peoples who came long before his people immigrated here. He's Amber's husband, Asher and Zeke's papa, Mark and Peter's brother, Pat and Gary's son, and Maddie's owner, along with his titles of neighbor, white guy with long hair, and coworker. He's also co-founder and executive director of Jubilee Home. Wow. That was one of the most fun bios I've ever read. Super fun. On this podcast. Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. I don't think that can be replicated. So, David, I think our audience are like on the edge of their seat. Like, who is this guy? Like, what? You're, I'm, you, maybe he'll go on autopilot, like not really listening to introductions being run off, but I don't think anyone did that there. We're excited to be talking to you, man. Check in with you. How, how are you doing right now, just as a person, as a human? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good as a human. It's springtime, which is a moment of beauty for me. I get a little crazy in the winter. Plus, I'm a big baseball fan, so when that comes back around, it means that like life is. So I'm feeling that right now. Although I've entered into the world of t-ball, which I find decidedly less enjoyable for all of the different reasons. But that's neither here nor there. But no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to hear it, man. I'm gonna have to press into that. Because this week I was about to register my son for T-ball, and it sounds like you got some stuff you got that we need to maybe process through. But that can be maybe a bonus episode for another day. So, David, I know our listeners are on the edge of their seats, especially those who don't know about the work that you do. Someone who's from here, who's someone who recognizes the history and honors the, the legacy of what you've inherited in this place. Clearly, you're a, or everything you do centers around relationships. Tell our listeners about the origin story of Jubilee Home, which I'm sure you're really deeply embedded in there. And our listeners would love to hear a little bit about that as well. But tell us the origin story of how that came to be, how you came to be passionate about this work. Because, I mean, for me personally, having followed you along this journey, knowing that was not a turnkey process, walk us through the the bumpy road that has been Jubilee Home, but, you know, the rewarding road that it's been at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate how you guys focus so much on the relational because it's a story that can't be told without relationship. Uh, my my own personal journey and the journey of this organization are kind of inseparable as far as an origin story goes. This whole thing that I find myself in, it's the fault of the man who's now my pastor. His name is Lewis Threat. If you guys haven't talked to Lewis Threat, that might be somebody you guys because he's a pretty incredible guy uh, doing some pretty incredible stuff here in Durham. But uh, me and Lewis went to Duke Divinity together, and one day we, it was close to registering for classes for the next semester. And I was walking down the hall, and Lewis was like, "Hey, you sign up for that restorative justice class yet?" No, you know, I go, "Why would I?" And Lewis just said to me, "You need to sign up for that class." And Lewis is one of those people who, if he tells you to sign up for a class, you sign up for a class. You know, like uh, the classic, like, "Would you jump off a cliff if he jumped off a cliff?" If 
think I probably would. Like that's the kind of respect and, and reverence that I, that I hold him in and, and that he's earned. So I signed up for this restorative justice class out of the blue and just faith in Lewis, nothing really else. And it was a class about mass incarceration, ministry, and restorative practices as opposed to retributive justice, which is how our system works with punishment and everything. So I took that class. I'm a white guy. I'm middle class. I, I was a bit of a hellraiser in high school, but every time I encounter law enforcement, you know, they or they, you know, poured out my booze and told me not to do it again and sent me on my way or occasionally wrote me a ticket because, you know, my, you know, my privilege is showing right here, right? I never really had to interact with the justice system in any meaningful way. And here I was at Duke. <laughs> if it was ever an insulated place from the justice system in the, in the wide world, it's a Duke University. <laughs> um, so, so I ended up in this class and like just had some of my naivety and ripped off uh, Band-Aid style. We visited uh, multiple institutions, state level, federal level, local level. I had never even heard the term mass incarceration prior to this. And I was, you know, I was at school to be a pastor. I wasn't at school dive into these worlds. And, and here I was. And I'm one of those people that like, once I see something, I can't unsee it. There's kind of no turning back. So I, I took this class that that actually kind of qualified me to take this internship inside of a facility. One intern I actually turned down the internship when they offered it to me. It was at CA Dillon, which is a youth facility in Butner. At the time, it was the it was like the maximum security a youth facility in, in Butner. So like the if you were trying to just on a plaque, it would be like, here's the worst of the worst kids in North Carolina or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I turned that down. I was like, no, that's not really what I want to do. I'm interested in economic justice, which, you know, hilarious, right? Like, I don't want to do mm -hmm. prison work because I'm interested in economic justice. But eventually, I took this position at uh, C.A. Dillon, immediately found myself in an atmosphere that I was engaged in in a much deeper level than the church work I'd done before. I, I've never found the language to quite describe my experience at Dillon. I didn't love it. I hated it. I got home every day. I, it, it was children in cages. There's nothing okay about that. But there was something about the relationships there and the community I was allowed to be a part of there that uh, was very different than anything I'd ever experienced. And so like I, and I don't have the language, but I, I knew I was in my place, if that makes sense. As hard as it was, as terrible as it is, there, there's no way to go through a door and hear it lock behind you and feel bouncy and secure with life, right? experience to enter into a prison facility and especially do it every day. But I did it and I loved it or, or felt fulfilled in it or, or whatever the right language is there, even surrounding this awfulness of incarcerating and caging children. But I got in there and this like of the worst kids in North Carolina. And the first thing that became abundantly clear to me, I mean, like within 10 minutes of being there was like, oh, like these are kids, they're youth. They like video games and playing basketball and talking about girls and there's so little difference from these guys than the other guys I've always known and always been involved with through the various other things I do and that was really a big moment for me right like I had to have that naivety I had to have that you know I was scared position I like turned it down and I'm going in like kicking and screaming and then all of a sudden I'm like oh dude like it's a bunch of guys and they're cool and like we have fun and like we get to hang out and it was kind of uh, ri ridiculous the things I walked through that door with and had to set down.
relationship. But I ended up doing it. I ended up doing two internships there. I re-upped at the end of my internship, formed some really close relationships. And towards maybe about the, I don't know, nine or 10 months in, one of the guys I'd really been spending a lot of time with, he was approaching was thinking, you know, we talk about this with presidents. He, he was thinking almost like a legacy of his time at Dillon. And he, he had actually been there for a number of years. And, and one day he said to me, you know, I used to garden with my grandma and I really loved that. And I, I loved hours with her and stuff. And that sounds like a really innocuous statement, but this guy was the, he was the top of the Crips at Dillon. He was the like main power broker amongst the population at, at it was a very big deal for him to reveal that and be comfortable with that. In the chapel, we kind of dove in and we were like, well, let's like, what does that mean? How do we like do something with that? How can we like honor this nugget of truth that he's offered and maybe create some therapy in the, in like, you know, in that revelation. And so I'm the son of landscapers, it turns out. So I was actually well equipped. I, you know, vowed to never do landscaping the moment I left home. And then I ended up working for my father-in-law for a while so that I could like properly. And, you know, it's pretty hilarious. The things that we're given as like small people that we carry with us. But anyway, I, I was like set up really well to like create this landscaping plan. We actually, we did these like raised landscape beds around facility and, and like put in these gorgeous flowers and azaleas and hoss and all these things that flower at different times and create depths. And we, we created beauty in a place where beauty was not common. And, and these guys really did. We talked it through. They, they came up with designs. I spent my time like arguing with admin that it was okay to bring in 15 inch spikes to, <laughs> to a locked facility and, and vouching for these guys and all that. And they did all the work. And the also got to have staff who they mostly had an adversarial relationship with come by and be like, dang, like you should come like when you get out, you should like do this. Like this is you, you have really a skill here. You've really created a great thing here. And it was a of like recognizing the talents and abilities and creativity that, that we have locked up wasting away that we as a society are denied the talents and the beauty that's within those walls because of our approach to justice in this society. So anyway, these two doing this project with we got really close to doing this project because i spent every afternoon with them right and this kind of unique setting uh, this kind of like blue collar like sweat of our brow hanging out being human you know it's kind of like in shawshank to like tar the roof for a day right and it's terrible work but it's just like they're gonna be regular guys and i think we had some of that going on and it was going great. We were almost done. We were going to finish the next week after spring break. And I went home for spring break. I mean, Durham, but like, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to the facility. And that next week when I went to buzz in, the guard at the door told me just to go home and call the chaplain tomorrow. And I was like, well, that was weird. Like we were going to finish the landscaping project today. And so I went home and called the chaplain. I was like, hey, chap, what's going on? They wouldn't let me in yesterday. They just sent me home. Like, you know, it's my job. Not many people get like buzzed away at the door from their job, right? And, so, and then she shared some really, well, she didn't share it over the phone. She told me I did need to come in and I needed to meet with her. And so we shared some really devastating information with me that both the guys that I'd spent the last few months with creating this wonderful thing and who I was looking forward to like celebrating with a pizza party later that week, the accomplishment and them going home and all the stuff. 
of them were at the facility any longer. That in the week that I was gone, they both did devastating things to end up elsewhere. That was like a big turning point in my understanding of incarceral life and the people behind bars and, and the decisions they have to make sometimes. So both these guys were on their way to getting out. They had done everything they could. And, and North Carolina juveniles don't have a date. It's not like I'm going home on June 20th. They sort of have this checklist of things and everyone has to check off on it. The judge has to to the facility psychologist has to, the family has to, all these other people. And these guys have been done with their checklist for a while. They were just waiting for everyone else to sign the papers, basically, which anyone who's ever done anything to do with the government knows that like, that's a whole thing, right? So hands need to touch it and sign it. And that can also be really hard for a 17 year old to process though, right? Like I'm done, I did my part. How come I can't get out of here? And also these guys were facing some adversity. Both of them were part of crime families. Both of them sold drugs starting at like eight, nine, 10. I mean, just unfathomable ages for many of us. And it wasn't clear that being released from Dylan was actually a positive. Um, it, it wasn't clear that home was any more free than... I think I've had to come to terms with the fact that these individuals saw the two paths before them, either further incarceration or being returned to their families. And they chose what they thought was the best path for them. They used survival to make sure that they had a bed and three meals a day where they wouldn't get killed, where they didn't have to go home to whatever beef they left in the first place and the traumas that came from that. You know, they picked one traumatic experience over another. And so that, that began this moment like, how, like, how are these, how's it possible? These are the two choices that we left these young men, you know, we, we lock them up and then we don't offer anything further than that, right? Like, oh, you're turning 18. You're an adult now. Good luck. Even though you spent your formative years locked up and that formation, we're just going to call you an adult now. And so that, that led to some research. What's out there in North Carolina? What's, what can we do better? Why is this the only option? And, and it turns out there was no place for young people getting out of prison specifically. There's lots of transitional and stuff, but nothing that sort of addressed this gap in development. And so that began this whole thing. And Rob, you were there for a few years of it. And, you know, I mean, finding a board, creating a plan, finding places across the country that do good work. No reason to recreate the wheel or assume that we have visiting those places, taking all the notes we could, visiting some places that do terrible work. We did that. Finding a house that met our needs in Durham, large enough to fit multiple beds and bedrooms, close enough to downtown that people could have access to the services they Durham right now, you know, finding a large house that's affordable, close to downtown, good luck. That, that was a long part of our journey. And then rehabbing the house. There's no way we could have afforded a house that was turnkey. And so th that took many years. I, I left 2011. And while working various other jobs to pay bills, we opened our doors for Jubilee Home in January 2020. So that was a bumpy road, long and bumpy road. But, you know, it's, that's in the nonprofit world. You just... Make it so you make it. So you know, we very much did that. Turns out a divinity degree, not the best degree to jump into like starting a business, but that's all right. That was great. Thank you, David. Yeah, that the story that you shared, I appreciate that. Um, me with a lot of great context for how you move in your work. I'm also trying to stay on script and we don't have to. And <laughs> we'll probably edit this. But like I've, you know, I've been taking notes and stuff and I'm just compelled by that journey. I, I originally compelled 
and then I'll ask this next question. But originally, you know, really started leaning in uh, when you're talking about your friend, Lewis, three, who said, no, you need to do this. And like that, I don't know, these are moments I'm like my work outside of is really paying attention to moments and like unpacking them and thinking about them and reflecting on them. What does it mean? And how does it mean for you moving forward? And like that moment really mattered. That exact moment changed your life. And you paid attention. You were submissive in that space and said, because of your reputation, because of our relationship, because I respect you, I'm going to lean in on your recommendation and take a whole class on a topic that you didn't understand and weren't interested. Like, this is like, I don't, why would I do this? It's changed your entire trajectory. And I just don't want to miss that because we all have those moments and many of us probably have missed them. Right. But we continue to get moments. We continue to have things. And I just wanted to acknowledge that because like there's, and then the story that you shared, but, the talk, talking about relationships, how much they matter and how capturing a moment when it is presented can change your life forever. You just don't know. And so up to Mr. Three and the people in his life that influenced him to get him to that place to say the things to you. And so here you are today. Let's talk about Jubilee Home. Let's talk about the word. Yeah, yeah. So why? You could have picked anything. What that's yeah. right. Well, well, so so the name Jubilee Home, it came to me where all great ideas come to me, and that is the shower. Yeah, me too. So it's, well, that's, a, that's, like, that's, that's like the me only too. like it's like the only quiet part of my day. Like I, I mean, I like, not, like I did not see him answering see it coming? that way. I didn't see it coming. That really, <laughs> I love being thrown off. I was really thrown for Luther. <laughs> yeah, I, so, you're like prayer. You were waiting for right. prayer, right? Or meditation? Like no shower yeah. just, like it's gonna be in, right. in the bible right. i'm gonna it's where i am right. yeah, yeah it's so i wanted to be really intentional about the name for sure like and, and actually agonized over the name names are really important to me we actually we blew it with our dog's name pointed our name that really inspired amber and i to like put a ton of effort into our children's names too which is so that like pointed to me like oh like names are serious like uh, I can't like shamefully name something as badly as we named our dog again. Uh, you know, lesson okay, moments sorry. in life. You do realize our entire audience is like, what did you name him? We have to yeah. ask what so, everyone's So <laughs> we named our dog Matilda and we call her Maddie. But she has some particular personality quirks that lend her to and some physical quirks that like lend so many more fun names that we just like, and we like kicked all those names around. The thing is, it's not like we didn't even have the names. We like kicked those around and then we like backed out of them. Like we like, it's a dog's name. Like who cares what you name your dog? Like, act in fear with a dog, right? Like the dog doesn't know their name is crazy. And we totally did. We totally did. But maybe that was a moment in my life when I was like, never again names. We were taking this serious. There it is. That moment matters. That moment. Yeah. So, so with Jubilee Home, like I, I knew the essence of what I wanted to name it, but I couldn't name it that essence. So I really wanted to capture the essence of the concept of shalom, the sort of Old Testament concept that we translate as peace because it's easy for us to translate that. But and because our English language is a more black and white language, where Hebrew really like it wants to capture like emotive things that are fluffy and like not quite as clear. So like, I, I think Shalom 
completedness or a wholeness or a wellness. And I knew that's we wanted to create a place of those things. But I also knew immediately we could not call anything Shalom Home. That just was not that was not an option on the table. Tackiest sounding, unmarketable. And so I like agonized over this. Like what like I, I know exactly what I want to call it and I can't call it that. So like, well, what do we do here? And I, so I just started trying to think conceptually about something that shows it's not sh- like, you know, directly Shalom and running through, you know, to Rob's point, I did begin to run through biblical moments or stories or concepts. And, and I was in the shower when I remembered the Jubilee. So the Jubilee, it's in Leviticus when Israel is kind of this pilgrim people. They're they're fleeing slavery from Egypt. They're trying to figure out what it means to be this people of God. What it would look like to create a just society, and and they come up with this radical idea. And so for Jubilee, every fifty years, uh, they put in this like edict that every fifty years, all the land of the nation will be returned to its original inhabitants and families will be reunified. Those are the two pieces of Jubilee. Pieces are like so huge because what they really mean, it means that anyone who's been taken from their family, be it through incarceration or indentured servanthood, or maybe even sold to settle a debt, all those people are returned to their family. So, you know, in the Jubilee, prisons are emptied and slaves are freed and debts are forgiven. And those who have spent the other side of the coin, right? Those who have spent the last 50 years acquiring property and accumulating wealth and people and slaves, they have to release those things uh, and return to their own humble homesteads and families. And so Jubilee is this like beautiful sense of fuller community, right? Not that we don't need rules and, and laws and some things to govern us. Sometimes people are good at business and some people are unlucky in business or, or whatever. That, that It acknowledges that inequality exists, right? It acknowledges that like we're not in a hippie commune singing Kumbaya and just sharing all our stuff, which, you know, not that I think there's probably a good argument for some of that in our life, but it's it's just acknowledging sort of the reality of, of how humans seem to operate through history, right? But it's got a breaker put in place. It's got this 50-year breaker where we can flip and have this radical reset. And the cool thing about Jubilee is, you know, I think I probably thought of Jubilee like, oh, release to the incarcerated. That's like so in line with what we're doing, right? Like we're offering liberation. He's but like the cool thing about Jubilee and Leviticus, good news for all. And that's so, such a big deal. I, I mean, like it's the most incredible part of this. And it's really important for a, for someone, in, you know, my experience and, and, and the story I bring with me to hear that this is good news. Not for, uh, those who supposedly are getting something out of this transaction, but also those who are giving something or releasing something in this transaction was, I think, not only transformational for me, but like really important, right? Like I have to learn day in and day out that I'm to save anyone. I'm not here to, you know, be white Jesus. I'm not here, uh, despite the fact that we live in a society in a world that, that tells me all the time that my maleness, that my whiteness, that my privilege, that my education, Level means that I should be reaching back somehow to these others. That the Jubilee sort of annihilates that notion of privilege and hierarchy and suggests that I'm entrapped by those very things that, that sometimes I want to celebrate. 
authority. Those very things actually can ensnare me. To be fair, when I, when I decided on that name, that nuance, that was, you know, I was luck of the draw, I think, as the best way to describe our name. But now, I, like, I get to experience that every day here. I mean, it, it's so cool to get to come into, a, into an atmosphere in a community every day, really see the things that I gain from releasing some of those other things. A really great moment I had with one of our residents one time. He had been here for about two months. He was really struggling with some things. And, and we were able to walk with him through some of those struggles in a positive way. And, and one of his hangups, one of, one of his traumas, if I'm being plain, was with a certain brand of Christianity that, that he was really struggling with. And he didn't ascribe to, but had been introduced to and, and people tried to support him through with this sort of a rigid set of faithful I'm, I'm trying not to throw anyone under the bus but he had a difficult experience with sort of church and recovery basically and he was actually at my office and he was letting loose faith and church and God and I was letting him and it was in some ways it was so nice for him to release he would get so tightly wound and then never have a healthy way to release and it was great to being there as he was vomiting out all these things. And he paused for a minute and he was in my office and he, and he paused for a minute and he started looking at my bookshelf and I was like, oh no, oh no, the secret is out here. I mean, like my bookshelf is, you know, Old Testament commentaries and, you know, it's, it's all these like, <laughs> all these things, right? I'm like, oh man, I'm totally busted. Like this dude is going on a rant against religion. And now all of a sudden he's like, oh shoot. And it was so funny. Like you could see the wheels slow down in his head and like it began to dawn on him. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm ordained in the United Church of Christ. And he was like, what? And he immediately, which everyone does, I don't know why this is a societal thing. He immediately began apologizing for all these things. Not even just what he said, but like for cur- I won't do it on the podcast, but like I assure our residents all the time, I, I probably curse more than you. It's okay. Like this is not, this is a safe place. And it was so funny to be able to say like, hey man, like, yes, I'm, I'm an ordained reverend in a nation, but that's not the lens that we're coming to this from. Like our lens of care for you and with you does not come with all the baggage that you're bringing with here. Like you can set that down. It's cool. You can set that down. And I can that like, I don't need to have my degree on the wall and I don't need to put up my like certificate of ordination, which like there's a part of me that really wants to do that. Right. Like I want to have like a super official looking desk, not the desk that has literally probably sticky notes on it. And at least five different colors, which means I've gone through at least five different packs of sticky notes, right? Like with these sticky notes. And, and you get that moment where you guys can come together and just be in each other's sort of vulnerability, right? Like you work and I don't have to bring all this like professional baggage with me in the same way that like, it's okay for you to not want to be interested in religion right now. And that's cool. Like we can do this together. And it was so funny for him to like have to, his brain so fast and get to watch his face go through all the emotions in this like 20 second time period of like, 
oh man, how far is my foot in my mouth right now? And like try to apologize for it and try to pull it out. And me get to be like, that's not like, <laughs> if, if I was here to like baptize you in this, I would have, and that's not what we're doing here. And, and for him to be like, oh, like it was cool that you're a bastard and I didn't have to hate you like a bastard. And I'm like, dang, there's a lot to unpack there, but thank you for letting me be and not rely on some of these idols that I want to be a part of. And so we get those freedoms here all the time. It's, it's, it's a real, it's such a blessing that I get to step in and have guys calm me out of my crap and release me from onto for so long that I had no idea I even held on to. Yeah. Wow. That was a, that was one heck of a shower. That was probably <laughs> worth, worth the water bill that much, right? For the inspiration that you got from it. I, it's, it's a good reminder. Hygiene, uh, and our listeners right but you know all jokes aside david like i think you've gotten you you set it up so well with this framework of what's in a name maybe down to like the from ten thousand foot down to the ground for a second i think our listeners case for the power of proximity of being proximate of crossing a barrier to redefine assumptions sometimes that are faulty right and that like this idea of mutuality and how important it is to just get up close we're like, man, the name doesn't hold true to the reality. So if you could, as best you can, I know we can't recreate proximity for our listeners, but like, just walk us through, like, what does a day in the life look like at Jubilee Home, right? For folks who haven't been there, who don't have your job, you're working in a cubicle or a virtual cubicle right now in the pandemic, they can't come and get proximate because you wouldn't want them to. <laughs> you're not doing any mass gatherings. Like, Tell us what a day in the life looks like. And then also, like, start with that today. But then looking forward, what does success look like for you in this work? What's your vision for the future? And, like, how are you knowing you're on track, I guess, and what you picture Jubilee Home looking like 10 years from now and what it takes to get like seven questions. But I'll, I'll let you pick which one you want to answer first and we can follow up. Yeah. So, so proximity is, that's one of the words I use all the time whenever I'm, if I, you know, Duke somehow lets me come back in sometimes and talk to some people in faith communities or whatever. Proximity is one of the most uh, transformational things. You know, we live in a, those of you who are in Durham listening, like we live in a community that literally the wealthiest, uh, most elite institution, our community has a wall around it, right? it from the rest of the city. We live in a city that was dissected by uh, a highway that went around that elite university and through the black community to serve primarily a uh, white flag. So like structuration is real. We, we don't live in a society that's designed for us to be proximate. You don't see a lot of prisons in high population centers. They're, they've been moved into rural communities for political and for proximity. So COVID proximity, right? Tough thing right now. But I think many of us are more proximate to some of these things than we know. But we just abide by some of these divides. You know, Durham, if you look at the wealth distribution in Durham, it matches the redlining maps from the 1930s. Almost. And I don't actually know, I, frankly, I don't know the answers to that. You know, it's not it's not white people all going into poor black neighborhoods and gentrifying them, right? Like that's not that's not any more of a help than uh, disinvestment and neglect. So if we we have to. I think first we have to do our own work, right? We have to find out where our blinders are. We have to 
We have to figure out where our biases are, what our own assumptions are, what parts of town, what people we avoid. You know, do we drive an extra three miles to go to the nicer? assume it has different noodles than the less nice grocery store or something, right? But yeah, and COVID proximity is tough. We're really siloed right now. And I don't actually think there's really an answer right now because we can't, it's like you said, we can't have mass gatherings. We can't do things safely. It's funny, you, you tied proximity and Julie home into sort of one lump because like Julie home, it's, it's been really funny. Everyone's siloed and yet we have gotten more activity. We've come alive in this time. One, we can't silo, right? We can't offer the services we offer via online mm. everything everything so we actually staffed up in the pandemic we've been busting at the gills with residents we could open three more houses tomorrow if we had the finances to do it because that's the demand wow. so we've actually been pushed into even closer and tighter proximity jubilee home at the same time the rest of the world is siloing which has been a strange thing for me and all of our staff and residents to navigate really as we try to protect each other and try to be safe but also just recognize the reality of uh, sort of congregate living and, and the world we're in. So that the adventure. I know we, we all are under adventures of schooling virtually or live or, you know, like, can I go to the grocery store? Do I need to wipe down my like jar of jelly or whatever? But Julie Holmes almost had the opposite problem. We've had to learn how to do everything together. So that's been interesting. But yeah, I, I want to encourage people as this thing unwinds and as we can reach a safe point societally again to be together to begin to challenge some of your own assumptions and, and where your body is uh, is really important and uh, if your body's never with people that are different than you then you're never going to be able to cross some of those barriers and this is the thing about that right if you can't cross those barriers you're never going to find liberation yourself so much of charity work right us giving to them whereas like when we enter that relational that mutuality that the, those kind of lenses we learn that we have to step across barriers we have to put ourselves in uncomfortable spots so that we can form transformational relationships and find our own i did not do this thinking that i definitely you know was more white savior charity mindset i'm sure of it because that's all i knew that's what i was you know, raised in and, but being in proximation with others who I'd never known and never had a relationship with before really been just such a joyful thing. Joy, joy is not natural to me. I'm a cynical person. I have to take breaks from the news sometimes because I just can't do it. You know, like I, I struggle um, seeing light in the day sometimes has been such a light place for me. It's like I get to come and learn from our staff and residents every day and our neighbors and share break bread together and, and just hang out. Some days like we don't feel like working around here and we all hang out together and we find that like wildly therapeutic and that we grow and learn and, and that's been so cool. So I, I can't suggest proximity enough for people, even if right now it's just not really a great idea. So yeah, you asked a lot of questions there, Rob, by the way, as I'm like recounting, I'm like 10 years down the road, I don't know how to try. Doing a great job. You, you, you've just knocked them off one at a time. So, hey, I, I have no 100% confidence. You, you got it ready. Yeah, let's so let's maybe we'll move to success in the future. So, so success is kind of a thorny word around here. We actually really avoid that because we want to acknowledge that journeys are winding and crooked and not linear and particularly with barriers in place, right? Like you got to go up and over a barrier, but sometimes you fall off the other end of it and, and it takes a minute to move on to the next barrier and stuff. As for Jubilee Home, 
while we don't use that word a lot, success for Jubilee is to not exist, is to live in a just society where we're not locking people up or we're finding better ways to address the roots of crime. I, I recognize some people are a danger and better way to deal with that necessarily. But the vast majority of people that we lock up is out of laziness and, and a lack of imagination on our part as a community. And so success for us would be, you know, community solutions and restorative practices that don't lead to hundreds to the community each year. So in 10 years, I guess I should say like, maybe we'll be closed. I got a feeling we're not going to be closed in 10 years. Just, just reality tells me that our needs are not going to magically descend upon us in the next decade but success for means continuing to do what we've done for us to make it financially that will mean some scalability we've got to we have seven staff members running two facilities that cover 10 beds it's not really mathematically it's not a great and so some scalability is going to have to be baked in for us 10 years to survive and, and continue to do this. But we're working on that and making some inroads there. I mean, we just went from six beds to 10 beds. So that's exciting. But I, I think we're not actually interested in sort of end game. How many beds do we need to get to? What do we want to be doing in 10 years? I, I think we want to remain flexible to the needs. One of the one of the big things we had to do during COVID was we wanted to serve 17 to 24 year olds initially and meet the gaps of guys coming out of operation. But with COVID and the need to move high risk people out of facilities all across the state, the needs became so great for all aged individuals that we dropped our restrictions on age and just opened the doors. And I, I don't think we're going to go back. And that's a need. It's hopefully we're pushing towards less mass incarceration. We've seen the coronavirus has forced us to release hundreds and even uh, thousands of people from North Carolina prisons and move to a community. So that's uh, maybe an ankle monitor or a regular check-in with a probation officer or something like that that allows someone to still seek employment and remain with their family and some of those things that actually keep our society together and functioning much more humanely. So hopefully some of that is going to continue, right, and push forward. And, and we want to be flexible to those needs as they come up. It, it may mean that maybe we become a site that can house people that have some barriers to their justice involvement that, that keep them out of, keep them from the jobs they want. But maybe they don't have to go to, a, maybe they didn't have to be incarcerated, right? Maybe, maybe they know how to live on their own and don't have some of the traumas of being in the hole for 12 months and need a lighter touch than what Jubilee Home is currently. And so maybe we design fits some of those needs more and just becomes affordable housing, basically. I, I, I don't know. We always want to be flexible to those needs. I know that there's a pretty big need for women's services right now that don't exist. So we're exploring that and hoping to bring something online by the end of the year. I don't know what 10 years looks like. I, I think eventually, something that I know, even from the beginning, has always been the case. Eventually, the person who sits in this chair is going to be someone with justice involvement. The person who guides the ship and answers to the board is an impacted person. It won't be me forever. So I think one of the big transitions we'll make in the in the coming years, and this is not, you know, if the board's listening, it's not something that like, we're talking about or planning right now, but is that someone directly impacted probably needs to run this place. Our staff, five of our seven impacted, we're, we're surrounded. Four of our eight board members are directly impacted peoples. And recovery or justice involvement, we have always made sure those voices are centered. I want to always recognize my own naivety and, and the things I don't know and want to 
professionals in this. But I know eventually it'll the ship will be all the way turned over, right? It, it will be the day will come when someone who knows exactly uh, what it's like to be in a place like this will run it. And so I'll be super excited about that. That will be a cool moment. Really fulfill some of the things we want to be about. So who knows what 10 years will bring, but it's been a cool ride so far. I'm excited about the journey and I'll keep pushing data time for now. Yeah, that was great. That was great. And, it, and we just, well, we went through lots of different questions, lots of layers, but this idea of proximity, right? I really do believe that many of our listeners for the very first time are hearing about your work, hearing the story, but even hearing about the work and maybe left with still some questions about how to get involved, how to support you in the world that you find yourself in around restorative justice. So I would love to hear from you kind of last thoughts, you know, how can our listeners show up? How can they show up in a way that is, that is supportive, helpful, not harmful in your mission forward? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We do have some delicacy to our touch, right? There's individuals who don't want to the world to know they stay at a place like this, right? And we always try to honor that and not be extractive of their stories. And so we had to make some transitions. When we were rehabbing the house, we had like churches and, and work groups in here like every week doing things. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, you guys did great. You built this house and now we're not going to have you over here very often, which has been funny. Yeah. Although now coming back online because we're actually finding some other properties right now, which is cool and exciting. And we had a work day, like our first work day, like a month ago, which was like our first like, oh, hey, like maybe there's a light at the end of this tunnel, which was really cool. So so one is just to follow us, keep up to date, right? Like, I mean, we're going on our website and sign up for our newsletter. It's just jubilee-home.org. Um, sign up for our newsletter where if our executive director was any more organized, you would get regular updates, but we'll call them semi-regular updates as is. I think it's about like paying attention to your own world, right? Who's in your world that maybe you haven't noticed before that you could be proximate to in a, in a healthy way? Because I think as we tear down our own walls, right? Like that becomes, we become more and more open to things and those around us experience them and their beauty and their talents. And that's that's my wish for everybody. I, like, I wish everyone could spend a day at Jubilee Home like I do. It's just not really possible because like, I get so much joy uh, from getting to be here every day and getting to walk with God with me. And, and, and so I just really encourage people to begin to open up some things. And, and if you feel closed off, if you, need some, if you need some work, seek out some of those organizations in the community doing great work around racial injustice or implicit bias or I've really been able to connect well with history. The Durham 150 project was really an amazing thing for me as someone who grew up here and experienced so many of those things without really knowing it, right? Like you look at a map of redlining and you look at where you grew up and you're like, oh, sh like that's why we called that the bad neighborhood because it was supposed to be the bad neighborhood, not because it was bad. And so like, I just, I really encourage people to dig into their own journeys as they do these things and find some of that and reach out. Jubilee Home's a great resource. They're doing good work over there with the podcast and with ReCity. And there's tons of groups doing good work. If incarceration or restorative justice doesn't seem to be your lane, if, if Jubilee Home's not ringing certain bells for you, there are other groups. And if anything strikes you, you know, Connect you where we can. Awesome. David, thank you. Thank you so much for just spending the time with us to share your journey, share the journey of Jubilee Home. I feel like you've, you've given our listeners a lot of meat to chew on in this conversation. And it, it, 
it was impactful for me. I'm learning, even though I knew about your work, knew you and who you are. You've given me really some profound thoughts, I think, to reflect on. And, and I know our listeners um, are, I've been blessed by the conversation. So appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time, man. And uh, yeah, with uh, the future Jubilee home. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, David. Appreciate you. Take care, friend. Keep doing the good work. Wow. Well, you know, I'm constantly learning. <laughs> so what I love, I've where I get the opportunity to learn about a completely new organization and hear about new leadership and how they think about their work. And so I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. What did you think, Rob? And I'll kind of, I'll be the cleanup crew on this one and give you I my love thoughts. It. You I'll hit yeah. first. He did say he was a baseball guy. He so did, I was going to say he did give he, a nice baseball analogy, clean up yeah. batter. Yeah. So now yeah. I see what you did there. Wow. You're just a professional through and through. You know, it was so refreshing. I don't know, Jeff. I, I feel like I'm on guard. If you spend a lot of time in philanthropy spaces, you, you kind of, you get a real clear sight of like when values are the wrong way. People are going about things in ways that are like dehumanizing with good intention, I guess. But man, just to hear his story and just, how these have evolved through proximity to really embrace these concepts around mutuality, how his sight has like grown clearer through crossing barriers, you know, through through taking the class, you know, to put it inside a maximum security youth prison facility, to be able to also to that experience did not, you know, it helped him see the humanity because he saw it up close. As far as, I mean, that, that example, the head of the Crips loving gardening with his grandmother and asking the question, how do we honor this? How do we build on this? And how do I yeah. use the gifts that I bring as like the son of a landscaper to help draw that out of him so that we can really experience, you know, a, a fusion friendship, like, right? And then almost the lament. So that's beautiful and we're celebrating, but juxtaposed against this reality that those talents and beauty are often locked away because of our society's approach to justice and how it is, it leans the retributive, which is, man, that takes us all back yeah. to one episode one, where we broke down those two differences of retributive justice versus restorative. Yeah. And that is what he's, right. I, I want to lean into that side of it because we're leaving our people, our young people and, and a lot of other people, who are locked away to pick between one traumatic experience or another. And I am so dissatisfied and unwilling to the only two options for my neighbor. So I'm going to go create a third. I'm going to go work towards the third. And for me, man, that was a, it was a so helpful for me to hear when I use the term restorative justice, I often think about it for someone else. It's restorative for someone else's brokenness, not my own. That was good. He he hammered that. He didn't hammer it. He he brought that home though. He brought end. that home of like, who does it actually restore? Or is me, as much as it restores the people that are formally just as involved. That's shifting from a mentality around charity to mutuality. And I, I love this phrase that he left us with: of we got to stop a the divide. And he said he didn't yeah, want to choose Shalom home because he didn't want it to be too rhymy. And yet, I, I mean, that, that right there is sticky. Yeah. And it, for me, it kind of left me asking myself the question, especially in this current climate of all of the things 
everything around us in this world, in this current moment, asking myself the question, whose humanity is hard for me to see because I'm abiding by the divide and cross a barrier? Where do I need to go cross a barrier to get proximate so that I can really more easily recognize the humanity that is in my neighbor? But that society has not really set me up to be proximate, but that I need them as much as they need me for us to really live into that restorative justice. That's hitting home for me in a very real and new way uh, right now. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I would say that echoes exactly where it was really beautiful and well said at the end. And it's challenging. It was challenging for me to hear him say that where you put your body like mm. If you're able to cross barriers, where you put where you put your body matters, mm-hmm. and crossing barriers into your own personal liberation. And mm. then he said, and then he he continued to talk about it, which I was like, that's a great quote. We just need to sit with that for a while. And then he was just like, find your freedom. Mm. And I was like, you know, that's how you find your own freedom. And I talk about it as margins, like by moving because you know I think about things my I think about my life as a bullseye in the center of the bullseye that perfect like middle sweet spot is where it's real comfortable where I don't have to work really hard that make me feel good about life so right there in the but then when you go out the further that you go out to the margins right that's where you grow that's the growing edge that's the good stuff that's the rich soil right because it's unknown to you it's unknown to them it's that partnership new things happen there and that's that fertile soil and when Mm. he said that about where you put your body matters and crossing barriers all I could think is just walking to the edge of the margins Mm. and where your personal growth your freedom really lives out there that's not really freedom that's just it's not laziness either it's just familiar it's a little complacent it is complacent not a little it's complacent there's nothing wrong with living there at times because we, it is a place of, in my opinion, you kind of need that. But the margins is where you really live. That's the good stuff. And it's like home base, the bar field, we're, we're going to keep, we're yeah, going to keep the center is home base. baseball. Yeah. But yeah, it's like home base and, and there's nothing wrong with home, a nice home base, but too often we live there and I'm saying you should be living out on the margins and coming back from home base for refreshing rest yes. our own personal yes. refuel, like refuel and then you go yeah. back out and he's right. saying that's where you should be putting your body in those crossover yeah. moments because that's where your freedom lives. I love and that. If there's two layers of that, which I think we can close with this idea that mm-hmm. there it's one thing to be others focused, but do you really your freedom wrapped up and your restoration wrapped up in theirs? Mm-hmm. You know, because you can, we know a lot yeah. of people and there's a lot of people in this in, in, in philanthropy that take that charity lens to being others focused, but it's more than that, it's more than charity. In to experience that shalom, that wholeness, that completeness of what restorative justice applies to you. It's not just go out there to serve others, but in pursuing their freedom, you will find your own as well on that journey if you live that way and i think that it's deeper waters i think than what charity has to offer and i think i invite our listeners to think through the implications of what could be on the margins for you 
as you go to love neighbor there. So that's that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really good. Really good. I had, of course, I had another thought as you were talking, but probably it's just good to close there. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to g- give a quick love and shout out to Dorian Burke. Justice. Mm-hmm. Just keeps showing up. You know, mm-hmm. keeps showing up. His, his, his leadership framework. and his thought, yeah. thought leadership and his framework continues to show up in these episodes. And I just want to, you know, acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's blazing trails and really living out these values. I feel like that we all, we, you know, yeah. I, I think of someone like him as, and this is his profile, his MO, and, and there are many others like him doing the good work, some of which we don't know uh, that are there. Because when you labor in the margins, there may not be a spotlight on So I, I encourage our listeners to think about what, how could your life trajectory change towards the margins, towards people who are hurting and through a lens of mutuality like David is doing with Jubilee Home. So check out their website. Mm-hmm. We'll put it in the show notes. Go get proximate. Find a way to cross the barrier and recognize the humanity instead of just abiding by the divide. I love it. I love it. I love that. All right, All right friend. As always, thank you. As always, a, a privilege. Happy belated Mother's Day. Thank you. Tell your wife Until the same. Adore her. She's a champion. She's a soul. All right, friend. It. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 